Thank you so much for joining us in, in worship this morning. And if you're in our overflow room or if you're watching us online, thank you for joining us as well. As you can see, we're continuing a series today called Sins and Stones that is on the life of King David, the second and most famous king over Israel, who lived about a thousand years before Christ. Uh, when we started this series, we saw a couple of things. One was God's rejection of King Saul, the first king over Israel. Uh, Saul's heart had moved away from the Lord, and he had finally drifted far enough that God said, that's it. And in normal monarchies, the king reigns until he dies, and then his son takes over, which is the same way it worked throughout most of Israel's history, except here, uh, because of Saul's drifting away from God, God not only rejected him, but his entire family line. And so the second thing we saw was God sent a man uh, named Samuel, a prophet, uh, to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, to choose the next king. And unexpectedly, the youngest son, the least qualified, the most inexperienced, is the one that God chose to be king. However, he did not immediately go from there to the, uh, to the castle to reign as king. Although he had had his coronation, it would be another 14 years before he actually uh, took his position as king. And so God, for that moment, had David to go back into the field to serve as shepherd, which is exactly where he was before he was anointed as king. And from there, God took him on a path to go onto a battlefield into what would be the most famous moment uh, of David's life when he battled a super soldier giant named Goliath. There he won on the battlefield, and David became a household name in all of Israel. Uh, Saul, at that point, tapped David for a couple of roles. Uh, one was to serve as his personal bodyguard. He saw David defeated Goliath, and he thought, I want that guy to protect me. And so he became part of the personal bodyguard team uh, for King Saul. The second thing was he got David to come and to play the lyre, which is like a small harp, this musical instrument, to play the lyre for Saul. Saul was tormented. He suffered from de uh, depression and anxiety. And so when David would play this music, it would soothe Saul. And so he served as Saul's personal musician as well. After a short period of time, uh, Saul then saw that David was a very skilled soldier. And so he put him into the army. He put him as an officer in the army to go into battle and to fight on behalf of Israel. So in a fairly short period of time, uh, David went from Shepherd David, to Warrior David, to Personal Musician David, to Secret Service David, to General David, all in a fairly brief span of time. That's where our story picks up today. If you've got a Bible, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel comes right after the small book of Ruth, which comes right after Judges. It's in your Old Testament. And we will pick up in chapter 18, uh, starting with verse 5. Here's what we read. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and with lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry, 
This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Okay, stop there for a moment and get a picture of what's happening. This chapter begins with Saul having a favorable view of David. David brought good things into Saul's life. David defeated this giant named Goliath. David brought his musical skills into the castle, which soothed Saul. David became a great warrior on the battlefield, defeating the Philistines. All of these things were good for Saul and brought Saul's favor on David. However, one day, David and the troops and Saul are all coming back from a battle. There's a parade of sorts, and King Saul, as king, is leading the parade. And the women came out of the towns to cheer the army and specifically to praise Saul for protecting their sons and their husbands while they were off at battle, for them having a great victory. And all the women come out from the towns as the army is marching on, and they get to one town in particular, and women come out, and with their instruments they play, and they begin to sing this very simple song with a very simple refrain. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. The song was actually meant to praise both Saul and David. In the Hebrew, the way that it is structured, it was not meant as an insult to Saul at all. It was meant to praise both men for protecting their husbands and their sons in battle. But Saul did not see it that way. And Saul, while he had been a brave soldier in his day, now he saw young David taking center stage as the great warrior of Israel. And as Saul's army returns from battle and the crowds praise Saul for killing his thousands, but David for tens of thousands, this refrain fills Saul with envy and with hatred for David. Suddenly, David became persona non grata in the eyes of Saul, which is what we see in the next verses. Go to verse 10. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. Stop there for just a moment. We talked about this several weeks ago. What does this mean that an evil spirit came on Saul? And while there are, are different understandings of this text... Most scholars believe that simply Saul, by drifting away from God, opened himself up to spiritual attack. And he began to, to be tormented by these evil spirits that would come on him. Now, I will be the first to admit that there's a lot about spiritual warfare I do not understand. There, there is an element of mystery when it comes to spiritual warfare. What is very clear in Scripture, though, is that it is real. Ephesians 6.12 says that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Spiritual warfare is real, and that is what Saul was facing here. As his heart had drifted from God, 
He found himself suffering from depression and anxiety because he was being tormented by these evil spirits. Then here's what happens next. An evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul, and he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So here the text says that Saul was prophesying in his house. That's really a bad translation. It wasn't that Saul was speaking to the people from God like we normally think of prophesying. The better translation here is that Saul was babbling. He was walking around his house talking incoherently to himself. And so David, trying to help Saul, was playing music. That's part of what David did. It would soothe Saul, but evidently in this case, it didn't help. And Saul was so overcome with envy and rage that he decides to target David. He grabs a spear. He hurls it at David. He misses. He quickly grabs another spear, hurls it again, and misses again. Then verse 12, here's what we read. Saul was afraid of David. That's ironic, isn't it? Saul hurled a spear and then another spear at David. Saul as king had the power, yet Saul was afraid of David who had not hurled a spear at Saul and who did not have power as king. Saul was afraid of David. Why was he afraid of David? Because of what we read next. Because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Again, a very strange passage. Saul was envious of David. He was angry with David. He tries to kill David, and that's not successful. And so it says that then he makes him commander over troops. David, I hate you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to chunk a spear at you. I'm going to chunk another spear at you. Okay, that didn't work. What shall I do next? I know I'll make you a general. Why, Why would he do that? That doesn't make sense. Here's why he did it. By this point, Saul had figured out that if he killed David, an entire nation of people would hate Saul. That David had become that popular. The text here says that Israel and Judah loved David. Israel was the nation. Judah was the region where Jerusalem was located. And all the people loved David. And Saul understood that if he personally killed David, the nation would turn on him. So he did what he thought was the next best thing. I'll make him a commander. I'll send him into battle. I'll send him into uh, very difficult battles against fierce enemies. And then if he dies in battle, well, that's just a casualty of war. I'm sorry. Oh, I know we lost David. I'm so sad too. And he would finally be rid of David. And so he tries that. And he sends David into battle and another battle. But each time David is successful, David does not lose any of the battles because 
the Lord was with him. And then, of all things, if things couldn't get any worse for Saul, Saul's daughter falls in love with David, making matters only worse for Saul. Her name was Michael. I know that's odd to us. Michael's a guy's name. It's spelled differently. It was a female name in that day. And she falls in love with David, and it drives Saul crazy. And so once again, he thinks, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I can take care of David without anyone blaming me. And so he says, if you want to marry my daughter, then you must go and kill a thousand Philistines, thinking surely he won't be able to do this. And sure enough, David is successful in that campaign, and Saul cannot get rid of David. Then the chapter ends with these words, verse 28. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out into battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. Now, while this passage doesn't state it directly, it's pretty clear that Saul was absolutely consumed with envy. When the women sang their song, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, something in Saul's heart, like a switch, changed. And suddenly David, who had helped him, was now his enemy, and it put Saul on a path towards destruction where the rest of his life, all he wanted to do was to get David. And ultimately, it was Saul's demise. Several years ago, we did a a series here uh, called The Seven Deadly Sins. And for that series, I had an artist who was a student at the Savannah College of Art and Design draw pictures representing each of the seven deadly sins. And the picture he drew for envy was this. You'll notice several things about the picture. Uh, The first thing you'll notice is that she is drawn in green, which is the color normally associated with envy. Uh, The other thing you'll notice is that her eyes are squinted. That's that's one of the characteristics of envy. Eyes are always cutting, looking what, what everyone else has and comparing that with what I have. The other thing you'll notice is that she is quite miserable. Uh, Envy is the sin that you never get to enjoy. With other sins, there's at least some sort of moment of enjoyment, you know, a a brief amount of pleasure, even if that pleasure is later overshadowed by the consequences of the sin. But with envy, there's never any enjoyment at all. Think about it with lust or with greed or, or with gluttony. You know, you get to enjoy it for a moment, even if you feel miserable later. But with envy, there's never any enjoyment at all. It's called the miserable sin. Saul was absolutely consumed with envy against David, and it destroyed his life. Now, before we get into why this sin is so deadly, let's start with a couple of definitions about what envy is not. First of all, envy is not emulation. Just because you see something that someone else has and you want that, that is not necessarily envy. 
Uh, emulation is seeing what someone else has done or someone else has and thinking, I would like that too. It, it may be that you own a business and you model your business after another successful business. Emulation is not always bad, and it's not always envy. The second thing is envy is not the same as jealousy. We tend to use those terms interchangeably, but they're actually different. Jealousy is the passionate effort to keep what is one's own by right. So a husband can be jealous for the affection of his wife because that is his right. Throughout the Old Testament, God is jealous for his name because that is his right. Jealousy is not the same as envy. So what is envy? Here's the definition of envy. Envy is sorrow at another's good fortune and celebration over another's misfortune. It's not wanting what others have as much as it is not wanting others to have. It wasn't that Saul wanted to kill tens of thousands instead of thousands. It's just that he didn't want David to be credited with killing tens of thousands. In fact, that day as they marched throughout Israel and the women came out and sang their song, if they had stopped with the first line, Saul has killed his thousands, and not had gone on to say, and David has killed his tens of thousands, Saul would have been fine. He would have thoroughly enjoyed the parade. He would have gone home a happy man. But when they sang the second line, that David has killed his tens of thousands, it absolutely rained on his parade. He spent the rest of that day and the rest of his days in misery, thinking only about how much he hated David. So why is this particular sin so deadly? If you've got your bulletin with you, this is on the back. What makes envy so dangerous? Number one, envy divides relationships. Envy is a sin of proximity, meaning it really gets at you when it's someone who is close to you who gets something that you don't have. Saul never would have been envious of some soldier in another kingdom being credited with killing tens of thousands. It was David who was right under his nose and in his own household and his son-in-law who got this credit that drove Saul crazy. It, it divides our closest relationships because it is a sin of proximity. Siblings experience this all the time. Our youngest daughter does not care what the kid down the street got for dessert. She does care what her older brother got for dessert. And if he gets something that she doesn't get, then she becomes envious. And so envy divides our closest relationships, friends and family, because it is a sin of proximity. Number two, envy distorts perspective, which is exactly what happened to Saul. Saul had the perfect opportunity to personally benefit from everything that God had given to David. Musically, he had the opportunity to benefit from David playing this music that soothed Saul. Personally, as a bodyguard of David, Saul could benefit from David's protection. 
as king over Israel, as David went into battle and won battles for the nation of Israel, Saul as king would benefit from that. But Saul did not see it that way. Instead, he only viewed David through the lens of envy, and it skewed his perspective, believing that David was in fact his enemy when David was his most loyal subject. There's a Russian proverb that goes something like this. The person who is envious looks at a tiny shrub and sees a great forest. In other words, envy causes us to view some situation or some other person in a light that is not always accurate. You've heard the old adage, the, green is, uh, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Most of the time when you get there, it's just as brown and crunchy as yours. But, we, but you see it as being greener. Envy will always distort our perspective. Number three, envy destroys self. In the story that we just read, King Saul was willing to lose his greatest soldier and his best personal aid just to bring David down. Saul was willing to lose battles against the Philistines just so that David would be destroyed. Envy is an incredibly destructive sin. Envy will cause you to say, I am willing to suffer as long as they don't succeed. There's an old story of these two men who each owned shoe stores right across the street from each other in the same town. They were very competitive. They watched each other all the time, very carefully, always concerned with which customers went into which store and which sales the other one was having. They were always running one another down and talking badly about the other's business, just hoping that the other business would fail. Uh, One of the owners in particular was just consumed with envy. And every time the other shoe store owner would have just an ounce of success, it, it would drive him crazy. I mean, all he thought about all day long and all night long was the status of that other store and that owner and his success or what he was doing. It just consumed his life. One day an angel decided to visit this store owner to see if he could help him overcome his battle with envy. And so the angel came to him in the middle of the night and said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to grant you one wish, anything you want, anything in the world that you ask for. I will grant you this wish with this one caveat. Whatever I give to you, I will give double to the store owner across the street. Oh, drove the guy crazy. He thought and he thought and he thought, what should I ask for? And he thought, well, maybe I should ask for my business, for my sales to go up by 50%. But then he thought, no, wait, if I do that, the guy across the street, his sales will go up 100%. And he thought, well, maybe I should ask for a large sum of money. But no, if I do that, then the joker across the street, he'll get an even bigger sum of money. I can't do that. And then he thought, well, maybe I should ask for good health. But if I ask for good health, then that rascal across the street will get great health. He's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to ask for? And he thought and he thought and he struggled and he struggled and finally it came to him. 
And he looked at the angel and he said, I know what I want. Here is my wish. I want you to make me blind in one eye. You see, he was willing to suffer blindness in one eye if it meant that his competitor would be blind in both eyes. That's what envy does. It, it, it celebrates the demise of others and will accept self-destruction if it means that others get destroyed as well. And then finally, envy devalues God's gifts. Saul never once looked at the life of David and said, look what great things God has done in David's life. Look at all that God is doing in this guy's life. Instead, Saul had blinders on. And all he could see was David's success in light of his own shortcomings. This is where envy just rubs and rubs and rubs right up against our spiritual lives and will cause us to, to basically have this gap that divides us and God. Because when we are envious, we are looking at what someone else has and we are basically saying to God, God, you don't know what you're doing. They should not get that blessing. They should not get that talent. You should not do that in their lives. I deserve that and not them. God, you don't understand what you're doing. And ultimately, envy puts us in conflict with God. So, how do we fight this awful green-eyed monster called envy? Let me give you three practical suggestions very quickly. How do we fight envy? Number one, consider all sides. Or to put this another way, don't believe that what you see is the full, accurate, entire picture. There is almost always more to the story. Here's how I know this to be true. We are all pretty good at putting out the image we want others to see, especially in our digital lives. If you're on social media, you are a master and only putting out there what you want others to see. What do you put online? What do you put on your social media account? You put your vacation to the Caribbean. You put yourself on the beach with the blue water behind you or the great restaurant and the fancy drinks with the umbrellas. You put all of that online. What you do not put online is the credit card bill that comes the month after the vacation. <laughs> and a picture of you worrying, how in the world am I going to pay this? There is this verse in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes that gives us a little bit of insight into human nature and how this operates. Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon, uh, the third king over Israel, the wealthiest man who has ever lived. Man had, had everything, all kinds of wealth. In Ecclesiastes 6, here's what he wrote. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. Stop there. Solomon here is saying there are individuals who get everything they've ever hoped for. Money, and stuff, and honor, everything they've ever wanted, they get it. However, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. He is saying some people get it all, and they're miserable. They get everything the world says that it takes to be happy, and they're not happy. Now, 
If you know anything about King Solomon, this is not just an observation about life. This is a little bit of personal testimony. This is what happened to him. He had it all, and yet he was miserable. Here's, here's what we need to consider. Sometimes we look at the lives of others and we think, oh, if only I had that. And oh, man, that, oh, that is wonderful. If I had that life. And many times they will look at you and think the exact same thing. We don't know the full picture. Consider all sides. Secondly, the way to battle envy is celebrate your unique gifts. Look how 1 Corinthians 7 reads. Each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Here's what this means. Whatever talents and gifts and blessings and station in life that God has given to you, it is for a purpose. God did not do that by accident. There is a reason you've been given exactly what you've been given. And the more we focus on God, you have given this to me for a reason. Help me to do well with what you've given to me. The more we do that, the more envy will fade away from our lives. And finally, here's the last thing. Champion the gifts and opportunities of others. Romans 12 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You remember our definition of envy earlier? Envy is sorrow at another's good fortune and celebration over another's misfortune. Romans 12 here says, flip that around. Instead of celebrating when others fall on hard times, we need to mourn with them. We need to cry with those who are crying. And when others are blessed, instead of, instead of getting all worked up and expressing sorrow over their blessings, we need to celebrate with them. Hey, that is great. Man, you have done so well. That is, that is absolutely incredible. And the more that we are able to do that, the more envy will not have a hold on our lives. In Saul's life, it was the sin of envy that ultimately led him down a path of destruction. It's what destroyed him. Over the next several weeks, that's exactly what we will see. His envy of David led Saul to make bad choice after bad choice after bad choice until his life ends in a most horrible way because he continued down that path of envy. That was the sin that captured him. There may be some of you in here and that's your sin. It's got a hold on your heart, a hold on your life, and it is leading you down a path of destruction. Or maybe you say, that's not my thing. I don't really battle envy. And that's great. But I bet you've got a sin. We all have our thing. We all have those sins that tempt us, that will get us, that will trap us. And there may be some of you in here today, and you're trapped by some sin. Envy or some other sin, and it is ruling in your heart, and it is ruling your life. And you came in those doors this morning with a heavy burden on your life. And this morning you're struggling. This morning you're wondering, what do I do next? Here's, here's what the Bible tells us. That Jesus came not just to save us from our sins, but to free us from our sins. That that sin does not have to have a hold on your life. That it does not have to have a hold on your heart. And at the foot of the cross of Christ, you can find freedom. That is what the gospel tells us. That is what makes it 
good news that this morning you can be free. Maybe there's some of you in here right now, and this morning that's what you need. It's just to take that sin, whatever it is, and to lay it at the foot of the cross and to say, God, I can't fight this. I can't do this on my own. God, I need you. I need you to free me from this.